Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 267. In this episode, I am joined by first team sports scientist at Almira City, Lucas Postuma. Lucas came on, we discussed his short career so far at only 24 years old. We spoke about his experience at the prestigious club Ajax, what he took away from that experience and that experience being his first um, first role in professional football as well. We spoke at a, about the transition from going from Ajax to Almira and also the transition from Almira going from the, the second division to the top division um, in Holland as well. We spoke about creating player buying, especially at his age and um, also players working with external practitioners as well some of the experiences that Lucas has had with that so I hope you enjoy this episode with Lucas we are now deep into planning for our 2024 networking events so we're on the lookout for anyone who is interested in hosting an event at your club and also speakers for the events as well so if you're interested in either of those, please drop us a message either on social media or you can email us on mail at footballfitfed.com. Just before we get into the episode, massive thank you to our sponsors, The Good Prep. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat, chef-cooked meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity, activity level and schedule, the Good Prep works closely with elite level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Their clients include Brighton Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth Teams, Gymshark and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance so you can achieve every goal you set. Plus you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through your journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com and make sure you use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. Also, a big thank you to Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? For pro sport teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery and maximize athletic potential like never before. Whether in the changing room post game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to de- be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at hytro.com or email teamsales at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. Also a massive thank you to Rezzle. Make sure you go and check out some of the work they are doing in VR and virtual reality at Rezzle over on social media. And let's get into episode 267 with the first team spot scientist at Almira City, Lucas Posuma. 
Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, Rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 267. I'm joined on the podcast today by Lucas Posuma. Lucas, how are we doing? Good. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Very, very good. I'm excited for this one. The what, sorry? Yeah, the pronunciation was good. Yeah? Are you giving me credit for that? Okay. (laughs) Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. The pressure's on when I start the podcast with with, um, names like yours. I need to get it right. How's things with you, Lucas? Everything good? Yeah, yeah, everything good. Go yeah. well, club. Yeah, we're doing well in uh, terms of points and how we're standing on the table and the team is growing. So happy, happy at the club and the club is happy, I think. Perfect. Now we're going to get into that in a little bit in your in terms of your role right now and who you're working with, which I haven't mentioned just yet. But... Will you take us back, give us a little bit of a bio on yourself, a bit of a career breakdown on where you've been and what's led to this role? Yeah, sure. Yeah, as I uh, said to you before uh, the podcast, we I'm only 24 years old, so I'm quite young in the field. So I had a bachelor degree in human movement sciences at the university here in Amsterdam. I uh, work at Almere, but Amsterdam is close to Almere, so... Um, after that, I went to do my master's, also human movement sciences at the same university in Amsterdam. And then I did the um, specialization in sport and sport psychology. And as part of my master's, I did a 13 months internship at Ajax at the first team at the sports science department. And after that, I wanted to start working at supermarket again. But then I got the opportunity to um, work part-time at this club at Almere City um, next to my master's. So I was doing that um, part-time and then the other half of the week I was studying. And then I finished my master's. And then after one season part-time at the club, I started full-time. That was already not this season, but the season before. So two sec- uh, seasons ago. So this is my third season at the club and uh, yeah, fourth season in the professional football. Which is pretty incredible when you think you're 23. See, 23 with a master's with four years in the professional game. Yeah, 24, 24. Okay, 24, yeah. 24. But even <laughs> even still, even yeah. still, that's that's quite a lot of experience for someone your age, isn't it? And we'll, I, we'll dive into this in a little bit because I think it's important to discuss. We have had people on the podcast before that have been a similar age to yourself in similar roles. And I think there's a lot of lessons for a lot of people to take from it. But I, cut, I said to you before we started recording, what I couldn't skip past is your time at Ajax because obviously such a massive club. I know they've had the struggles this year, but yeah. I wanted to just go into some of the lessons that you took from being around that club. In terms of the cultures to start with, what were some of the big things you took away? Yeah, the the most, um, yeah, what helped me was like the hierarchy. Or the hierarchy. Yeah, hierarchy, yeah. Yeah, so the one, the head coach, and then I had, um, for example, the head of sports science. And I had my role as intern at the first team. 
And for me, it was good to start with this because the steps to ask, for example, okay, how should I do this? Or how do you want this are less big. For example, if you go to the head of sports science um, compared to if you had to go to a head coach or maybe a performance coach or someone else. So yeah. the niche was quite small in which I worked and it helped me to like develop myself. Okay, how do I um, get a message across? To, for example, to a trainer, I could practice that to the head of sports science, for example. And then they gave me the tips. And then I was like, okay, I can do this next time. Maybe I to the performance coach myself, or I get it, uh, get it again to them and then ask feedback again so I could learn. And the other part is that, for example, as, as me as a practitioner with a young age, I wasn't allowed in brackets to go to the, for example, the assistant coach to tell him something or to make jokes about, for example, an assistant trainer. Whereas at the small club here, we constantly joke about each other because it's a small club and like it's a warmer club. You can say that, but there's less like um, uh, levels above each other, whereas at uh, Ajax, it's above each other and um, at Omeer City, it's more next to each other because it's a small club. So that's what I learned, but it was good as a young practitioner to have like a smaller niche, which I could learn and develop myself before I would jump into the deep uh, water to, for example, go to a head coach. So uh, that's one lesson that um, I took from that. And I also had, for example, feedback when I made a joke, which I didn't even do on purpose, uh, but I made a joke, for example, okay, you are, are you, is it that cold? Why don't you wear a winter jacket or for example, I said it to the assistant coach and then I got the feedback from the head of sports science. I wouldn't do that. So yeah. whereas yeah. if I do this, if I do this at Almeida City, it's no problem. But it's good that you learn this as a young practitioner, because in my opinion, it's better to open up, whereas you have to close down. Um, so I could open up at Almeida City, so to say, whereas if I were at Ajax, I was a bit yeah, closed only with my sports science department and not opening up to the other departments or the trainers or the assistant coaches. Yeah. So you're learning how to interact with people in different roles and people in, I suppose the decision makers, aren't you in terms of head coaches and if you ever came across any directors yeah. or anyone in the, yeah. that's going to be higher up. Yeah, no, that's interesting in, in terms of, cause it, it, this is obviously your first experience or sorry, the experience at Ajax was your first experience within professional game. Yeah. So working with footballers, was there anything that sort of stuck out to you as maybe a surprise in terms of the way they prepare for games or anything that really you took forward into your role now? Um, I must admit that I was surprised on how normal they are. Yeah. So I would expect them. I would expect them. When I came in, I was a big fan of Ajax. I still am. But I came in and I was like, okay, they must be like superstars. Yeah. And they want me with the, um, they already warned me that they are just normal people, not warning, but they said to me, okay, they're just normal people. So act normal against them. And they really were normal people. And of course, there are always players that are maybe um, feeling a bit more than you are, but the most of them are just normal players and they just wanted to have a small talk with you and they want to uh, make you feel at home or at least be comfortable around them. So that was what um, surprised me a bit. 
I must admit, but it was also very nice because it helped me. It helped me, uh, yeah, just um, blending in the club. Brilliant. So, yeah. And it, in terms of Ajax as a club over the years, they've had an unbelievable amount of players coming through the academy, getting into first team and, and moving on for X amount of, of pounds or euros, like for a number of years, haven't they? It's been a real tradition getting players through. So is there anything that you saw in terms of the work that they were doing where you were like, this is this is seamless? You can see why the transition works so well at a club like that? Um, so I I can um, give you a bit of an example, but we worked in, for example, there were three interns, one with the under-18s, one with the under-23s or young Ajax, and one with the first team which was me and we were sitting next to each other and we were always chatting okay how is your training doing and how is your training and what um my impression was that the under 23s were always training like really hard so that the only um capability would with, uh, which would hinder them to go to the first team would be the technical or tactical capabilities whereas the physical capabilities were always top so they would yeah. train harder than the first team and they would do more work than the first team. So I think that's a big plus for the yeah for the seamless um, going from an uh, 18 to under 23 or to the first team. So I think that's one factor. And as I said, we had uh, only our science department. So I haven't seen much of, for example, the strength training back then or the periodization in terms of, okay, how do they train? So this is only my experience, which I could see when I was behind the computer watching the training or next to the pitch. Brilliant. I'm really interested now to hear how the lessons at a club like that have been applied into your current role with your club. Um, can you give, just to start with, before we jump into that, can you give a little bit of background around the club? Um, and also just recently in terms of what has happened with the, with the league that they're in and all the rest of it? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the club is founded in 2005, so it's only 18 years now. So it's uh, yeah, young young puber we say. Our CEO always says that, and yeah. So what's good, what I like of it is that I I was born in Almere, so I've seen the club grow. When I was, for example, 12 or 13, every Friday night, me and some friends of uh, some friends of me were going to the stadium just to watch the football because we didn't have anything else to do on a Friday night. And um, yeah, what happened last season was that we promoted for the first time ever to the Eredivisie. So it's the first time um, that we're in the highest division of the Netherlands. And we um, had a couple of field attempts before. So we had one time we reached the playoff final and then we lost the final. That was in 2017, I think. So it's Six years later, and now we are finally in the in the first division. Whereas we are only eighteen years old, so it's quite uh, quite quick that we are in the highest division. And yeah, so what was um, fun was that last season we on the last uh, playoff final match day we uh, won away at FC Emma, and then we uh, promoted. So a big party uh, started at the city which i couldn't imagine i i would expect that only maybe two or three thousand people were just celebrating but there were, were like six or seven thousand people 
and the stadium was uh, sold out for this season already in like 10 minutes so so it was a big hype around the club and uh, yeah also a um, lot of positivity because of course it's the first time and we don't have anything to lose you can say but of course we have ambition and we want to stay in and I think this really helped the club to um, continue the growth they already yeah started in the past years but yeah of course playing in the highest division helps in terms of exposure but also in terms of engagement of the player uh, of the fans and everyone around the club so yeah that was uh, that was really nice I uh, shaved my head uh, <laughs> when we promoted so my girlfriend <laughs> didn't like that but there was yeah we had a small bet with our captain so I was bald and now my, my hair is finally back on so uh, that was nice. <laughs> that's um, commitment that's true commitment that Lucas yeah so uh, so they said yeah you should uh, shave your head when we promote I said okay why not brilliant it was stupid but I uh, I would do it again if we uh, would promote again hopefully we don't relegate but if it's necessary I will do it again brilliant so when you went into the club then which is now four year, four seasons ago no the, three so three seasons ago yeah yeah and um, what was the makeup of the performance department like who was actually involved at that time obviously not just not necessarily names but like were the what sort of practitioners were involved yeah, so so Neil Sterner, I still mention his name, but he uh, brought me in. He was the performance manager. Um, at that time, he's now at another club in the Netherlands. And we had uh, Bas Beimer, who's the current performance manager, and he was then the performance coach. So we had a performance manager and a performance coach, and they brought me in as a sports scientist because they wanted someone to handle the data and to assist them in um, yeah, visualizations and all those kind of things. Yeah. just to have more time on hands in the gym or on the page or you name it so it was uh um we were at three and then we had one um not even a full-time performance coach for the academy so that was the situation back then so only uh three um guys on the performance side and then we had two physiotherapists which were already working there and uh, so, yeah, so we were with five on the medical performance stuff. And how was that transition to now? <laughs> it's actually funny because um, Niels left um, the season after I came in. And we, yeah, just <laughs> took, we were stuck with two of us. So Bas and me. So we were, <laughs> we are now with even less people than we were with when I started. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so my role changed a bit. So I became more of a hybrid practitioner. So also a more generalist, which did not only the um, data side, but also more on the pitch or the periodization or the strength and conditioning work. So so we, uh, yeah, the workload in increased, uh, yeah, increased a bit, but we managed because we are promoted. And now we are just um, looking for interns or people who want to help us just because they like the club but we uh, are looking for that for after the winter break and how do you feel like that's developed you as a practitioner because obviously working at a club like Ajax and bigger clubs is going to be more I suppose specialists in areas yeah um, and then going to a club like you're at now in terms of our area the you're going to like you've just mentioned you have to be, become more of a generalist don't you and cover and wear more hats 
So yeah. how do you feel like that's progressed? You feel like you've come on a lot from being in that role? Yeah, um, I thought about this before we had this conversation, but I think the big difference is that when I came in as a specialist, so to say, for the data visualization or the data handling and the, as being a sports scientist, then from there on, I became more generalist because I was also responsible, for example, for nutrition or helping players with their food. And then I was also doing things on the pitch. So I was forced to learn quicker. So I think yeah. the big difference is that at Ajax, of course, I was an intern. So my responsibilities were very low. But um, here at Almere, my responsibilities yeah, were a bit bigger or even much bigger than they were at Ajax. So I was forced to learn quicker. So, for example, when I was thinking, okay, how could I implement uh, strength training for a certain player with a certain question um okay then i had to look things up for myself and then i need to make like um scientifically backed or, or at least the best option for that player um in helping him or uh, helping him to yeah to reach his goals so i was forced to learn quicker but also to make decisions and that's the big difference because of course um in the beginning i was doubting okay am i doing the right thing or should i um, look things up more or should I have more evidence for a certain for a certain way of doing things but in the end you just have to make the decision which you feel is right based on your experience but also based on maybe scientific literature so I learned to do that and I think that really helped me in um, yeah just becoming more responsible but also in learning quicker because as I said you have to if you um, are responsible for it. I think the the listeners will find this really beneficial, but how did you find it in terms of being in that role where you've got lots of responsibilities and realizing that there's maybe an area that you need to develop yourself as a practitioner and then finding probably the time to go away, whether that's reading, whether that's speaking to people, yeah. however you approach that development, finding the time then to spend on it to bring that up as a in terms of one of the attributes as you as, as a practitioner how did that work for you or did you find it quite easy no i in the beginning i was really insecure because i just came off the university and there of course you learn okay you have to um, scientifically prove things before you can implement things that's yeah. kind of how they learn you things but of course football is always ahead of research so sometimes there's no research so this made me insecure and i think it helped me to um, discuss for example with boss so the performance coach on how he would do things or even with the physiotherapist and still with Niels which already left the club and as I said to you before I um, had a, um, took a mentor in hand so James Malone which um, I uh, yeah which really helped me in um, yeah having more specific goals so which area I want to improve first and most of the time that are the areas which I was not the good uh, the best at so um, yeah, that that's how I chose which topics or which attributes I want to de develop first. So in my case, um, the first thing I did was um, working on a periodization because Niels who left most of the time did that and Bas took that over. But I had to do that for the under, under 23s. So I need to uh, make sure that I know enough to um, schedule a good program. So and after that, or right now, I'm doing a strength course. So 
step by step, I'm starting to develop my attributes or my hard skills, so to say. Yeah, brilliant. I think that that circle of coaches that you can reach out to at a time like that is really important, isn't it? And how have you found that in terms of the role of a mentor? Because obviously James has been on the podcast before. I know there's a lot of people that have worked with him um, in clubs and also um, out of clubs as well. Do you find that it's really beneficial that he's not at the club you're at and he's looking from a bit of a neutral perspective? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, sometimes, for example, I have I have um, a different opinion than, for example, Buzz. And then we can discuss about it, but we sometimes agree to disagree. And then someone who's outside of it with like a neutral um, eye on it, they can give me tips. And sometimes I must admit, that I was wrong or I could adapt something. And yeah, for me, I think it's good to not have someone which is in your close circle of, for example, colleagues or co-workers to discuss things with. And yeah, that's why I took someone who was not even from the Netherlands, but uh, from England. And uh, yeah, I think that really helps because it also um, helped me getting in touch with other practitioners, whereas I only knew the practitioners in the Netherlands before, whereas now I know other practitioners from um, foreign countries as well. So yeah, that's really helping me. And I discussed, for example, with someone who was in Turkey or someone who was in uh, Saudi Arabia. So so that really helped me because always the culture is always different. So for example, I have French players at the club and the culture in France is completely different than in the Netherlands. And sometimes yeah. we think, okay, why don't you work? Whereas they must think, the players must think, okay, why are you always trying to push us, for example? So sometimes helps to speak to um, practitioners of other countries, which you may have uh, not spoken before or spoke to before. I think that's a great point. A really, really good point because you, it's amazing how much you actually learn when you start those conversations, isn't it? Uh, and essentially everyone or a lot of people out there, they want to learn from people working in different environments and with different groups of players in different countries. So um, by reaching out, the worst that can happen is they say no or ignore you. The best that can happen is you suddenly develop a international network of coaches that you've suddenly got people to reach out to, isn't it? So uh, there's real benefit to it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so I must admit some of the, people I didn't know by name and I would never um, get to know. But with the new, with the mentorship program, I was kind of forced to learn them uh, or get to learn them, get yeah. to know what I mean, um, because they were in the same mentorship group or they were doing the same program as I was doing. So yeah, it's, it's really beneficial to have people outside of your country because otherwise your circle stays small. And sometimes the, practice just the uh, snc practice in the netherlands is completely different than for example in spain or in france or in the middle east so i think it's really beneficial as a practitioner to have different opinions about different topics but also different ways of working and how they are working at different clubs that get that could really help you so yeah i'm i'm quite happy that i did that and uh, i know that other practitioners um, do that as well so I think it's a good thing uh, to start with if you don't do that right now definitely yeah 100% it's always amazing to see the different clubs represented on our online community 
And recently, we've had such an array of different clubs from all over the world, practitioners joining the community and getting involved with our community members and the content we've got available on there as well. We've had um, practitioners from Yokohama in, in uh, Japan, Hearts up in Scotland, Peterborough, Wellington Phoenix over in New Zealand, Bayern Munich in Germany, Bristol City, Partick Thistle, Cork City, Rotherham United, and loads more as well. So come and join them. Connect with other practitioners and grow your network. Come and join them on our online community. You can get a 30-day free trial by going to footballfitfed.com. Sign up to the free trial. That'll give you 30 days free to see what the community is all about. After your free trial, you become a paid member of the community. At that point, you get access to our members WhatsApp group. You can join in the many discussions that go on in there and get future benefits of the community as well with some of the great content we've got coming very soon too. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab and sign yourself up there. Here's part two of the podcast with Lucas Posthumer. When you were preparing, so once you'd won promotion, Lucas, what were your what was your thought pathway in terms of preparing for this season? Like, what were some of the differences that you saw from the previous league last year to going into the top league this year? Yeah, the the first thing that was um, regarding the time. So the our club um, promoted at the tenth of June, and then. I think six weeks later, the competition started. Wow. So no, maybe yeah, eight weeks. Let's say eight weeks. Still not and long. No. So we had a pretty long season because, of course, we played the playoffs, which was like three weeks on top of the regular season. And the regular season was already quite long because of the World Cup. Mm-hmm. So I think almost a year we had competition or matches. So what we did was we gave the players quite a long time off. So we started only uh, at the 10th of July. So one month they had off and two weeks they, they did nothing and two weeks they had an off-season program. But the, yeah, the so the preseason was very short. So that was the first thing that we were, yeah, tackling. So, okay, how can we manage it that we uh, make sure that the players are fit at the beginning of the season, but not um, we are not overreaching them. So that was the first problem. Um and yeah, what we did was we looked at the previous season and thought, okay, where did we go? Maybe a bit too slow or was the pace just good enough? And then we were telling, then we would tell the coach, okay, coach, we only have six weeks before the competition starts, but we may need eight weeks to get them optimal in optimal condition. So they know it already, but um, that wasn't the case. So we could manage it quite well in the five to six weeks preseason. Yeah, no, four to five weeks. In the six in the sixth week, we had the first competition match. So that was the first big difference because the previous season we had like ten weeks before the competition started. Um, so that was the first big difference. And obviously, what what was the biggest difference was that in terms of resources, every every company almost reached out to us. So we even got letters personally addressed to us from companies which we didn't know um, on, okay, we can help you and we can help you stay in the league. And the next step is this, for example. So that was the next big thing was, okay, um, we already wanted to um, to get some things in. So for example, an athlete monitoring system, 
Um, we already wanted a new one because we the contract expired with the previous one, but we got, for example, six offers. And then we had to choose, okay, which one do we want? And the same with, for example, we are now doing um, tests with default, which we didn't have before because we didn't have the resources to pay for such a system. And all those kind of systems, we had to think of, okay, what do we need? So we wanted, for example, some um, improvements in nutrition. We wanted something to improve in the gym, but we also wanted to improve something in the testing and measurement of players and injury prevention. So with, for example, default. So we had to make decisions. And that was the yeah, that was the biggest thing because Buzz and I were constantly discussing, okay, what do we need? What's the most beneficial with the current budget we have? So I think that's also a big difference. And for example, a lot of people reached out to us to ask if we had a job for them or to that they wanted to help us with their with their services. So yeah, sometimes it was for me because I'm quite young and I can imagine that for example, saying no to a young uh, person or young practitioner could be harsh, but we had to because we had too many people asking things and willing things willing to do things for us but also wanting things from us so yeah that was the biggest difference i think and when it came down to them prioritizing what you went with and again you don't have to talk about that if you don't want but i'm I'm more interested around those decisions between you and baz in terms of this is this needs to be the priority because we're stepping into this league and we've got these extra challenges throughout a, throughout a long season where did your mindset go around that? Yeah, so the first decision we made, which we already made before we promoted, because we wanted that before, was about the athlete monitoring system. So we had discussion going about if we should um, hire a system of or a company to help us, because I could do it, but it would cost me a lot of time. Yeah. About the time. So for example, in the end, we chose a system which um, did the data, um, yeah, the data processing and the medical availability. All those kind of things are now in that system. Whereas I could have built, for example, the readiness questionnaire, um, and we could have done that internally. But we uh, spent money on it because then I had time on hands because we had more players and more responsibilities, and we didn't get an extra. Um, colleague to help us so we had to make the decision we are only with two persons so we choose to um, take the athlete monitoring system so i have more time in hands to do other things and to assist boss in for example gym sessions or pitch based sessions and um, we had an extra team because the under 23 became our responsibility because they also promoted to the yeah football pyramid okay so so that was the first decision we made and we had some discussions about it, but in the end, we just chose to um, take a system and use that. And that's, was that mind, uh, sorry, was that mindset of yours around availability across the season then for players? Was that like a priority for you? Yeah, yeah. So I think um, not for me, but Buzz, of course, as head of um, performance, it's always about availability and how the players are in terms of injuries and in terms of conditioning. And um, for the 
for the physiotherapy, we got a new practice. So we worked with the practice the previous three seasons and then the contract expired with that practice and we got a new practice. So that's also um, one reason why we did that because this is easier to start with. So we didn't have to build, for example, medical availability questionnaires or all those kind of um, spreadsheets about um, availability percentages. So it was only in one system. So that was also main reason why we did that because that would be easier for the transition to the new practice. So we could just put it in a system and the system would um, handle the data and give us the reports we wanted. Whereas if we would build it ourselves, that would um, take a lot of times, whereas the time um, must have, yeah, was spent on just getting to know the physiotherapist and getting to know the new practice and also um, the, uh, the physiotherapist getting to know the players because they were used to um, previous physiotherapists and now they were gone. So we had to um, build new connections or new relationships with them. So I think that's also one reason why we chose the, yeah, the uh, athlete monitoring system. I think that's a great insight into how technology can be used so well within the game, isn't it? Because you spoke there a lot about utilizing the time and obviously you could spend a lot of time working on things like that, but you've essentially saved it. And what you've referenced there as well is you've saved it to go and work on, I suppose, the the human skills in terms of the connection between a new member of staff, between the players, between the players and that new member of staff. And that's the really important stuff, isn't it? So no, I think that was a really fascinating insight into it and something that completely makes sense in that position as well. Yeah. Yeah. So so it was made not not tough, but we had to get used to each other, of course, because you we had a way of working with previous um physiotherapists and now we had new ones. So we need to get to know each other. But when we are in training camp and there's a beer in the evening when the players are in their bed, it's always making it a lot of a lot easier so there was there was quite uh quite quick that we uh, managed it was there anything else in terms of going into this new league that stood out for you that you knew you had to prepare the players for obviously we're talking a different standard of football because it's a, it's a different league but was there anything else that you as practitioners you sat down and discussed where you were like this is going to be different this year um so not on the beginning of the season, but now we are progressing in the season. I must admit that um, one thing that we didn't think of was that there are many external factors regarding the players. So, for example, the their physiotherapist offering their um, offering their yeah their hands to the players. Okay, if you're injured, just come to us. So there are a lot of um, companies and persons pulling the, uh, the players or pulling on the players to get them, for example, to um, do a rehab in their uh, yeah in their practice or just to, for example, do an extra training when they have a day off. So that yeah. was in the beginning. So that that's increasing because of course we playing at we are playing at the higher level. So the players get more um, exposure at the highest level. And of course there are people thinking, okay, I can get money from out of this or I can I can get publicity out of this. So that's, I think, a big difference with the uh, second division and the first division is that now players, um, for example, can have their 
own performance coach or can have their own physiotherapist, whereas that wasn't the case in the second league, or at least it was less the case. Of course, you always have players with their own physiotherapist, but I think it has, um, yeah, it increased. I'm, I'm interested with that because we've spoke about that a lot on the podcast and we've had a lot of coaches talking about how they are trying to make it work both for the club, both for the practitioners at the club and also the players. So how have you found that then in terms of the work? And I'm probably leaning more towards like any S&C work that they're going to be doing because obviously physiotherapy can be a little yeah. bit different, maybe a different conversation. But for you as a practitioner, uh, how have you found it? I think I think the main the main thing that is really helping us is open communication. Yeah. So, of course, players in the beginning, they always want to hide that they are doing SNC work at another um, practice or with another person because maybe they are ashamed or maybe they think we are um, disappointed what they tell us. But, um, yeah, I think open communication is really important because sometimes and actually always we have um, we have thought a good thought out schedule for the players so for example they train on monday tuesday they have a day off and then they train on thursday or friday and for example saturday there's the match um whereas if a player thinks okay i have a day off and I, he starts to work quite heavily with the uh, personal trainer or with another snc coach that could um yeah interfere with each other so um whereas you want to have a positive effect of the um, training on tuesday and then rest on Wednesday because then super compensation can um, happen. For example, if they start training on Monday or uh, on Wednesday, I mean quite heavily, then the super compensation doesn't take place and there's even more overreaching or even overtraining. So I think that's really important to have an open communication with the players. And sometimes what we um, did was that we, for example, give them a GPS tracker. And that could be just for us that we know, okay, what do they do? at the other training that we don't see or we don't give but also for the we could also use that to give the players feedback okay so we are doing this in a week and if you also do this with your personal trainer this could happen because for example you ran too much or you ran not enough because yeah. you can think okay monday tuesday i don't do it because i train on wednesday whereas we think why don't you do it on monday tuesday so the 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 conversation gets easier with the objective data, I would say. And we try to have an open communication with as many players as possible. And we always try to um, tell players what our plan is with them and um, what our goal is for them. But they can then also say to us, okay, but I want this and I want to um, develop another capability. Whereas, for example, we want them to have more to be more agile they could say okay i want to have a higher top speed which would have an effect on the program but it would it's better that we know it than that they start doing it for example on the day off because then we have a bigger problem they could get injured or they could get overreached so i think the yeah the key point is open communication and that communication you've obviously had it with the players but have you had it with the practitioners as well um not yet because um the most most of the players are going to like a skills trainer and not okay. really to a performance trainer the players we know it so the, the players we know it yeah. from they go to more technical um yes coach or not really as snc coach yeah 
course, in oh, the off season, so for example, when there's off season or an interland break, then they go to a performance coach or performance trainer, which is in their own country. Then we would give them, for example, the GPS tracker, and then that's no problem. And sometimes they tell us what they did, but we have the objective data, so it's no problem if we don't know it. Yeah, know it from training because we know it from the data. No, that's, that makes complete sense. I want to move back on to um, to you now, Lucas, because something that I've, I had to touch on in this episode was obviously 24 years old, being in the first team. Yeah, majority of the players are probably, I would say, either a similar yeah. sort of age, if not older. So, yeah. how have you found that? How have you found working with players that that are that sort of age, and also creating that buy-in and that relationship with those players? Yeah, I think um, in the beginning it was difficult for me because, of course, when they are my age, they could be my friends. As I said, football players are really normal players or normal persons. And we could have, for example, if they weren't a pro athlete, we could go to the, go to a bar and just have a good chat, have a good conversation, and we could be friends. But um, there's a difference, of course, because I'm in the staff and they are a player. So our head coach is really... Um, was in the beginning really telling us, okay, try to keep it separate. So you're yeah. the staff, they're the players. And that I think that he mentioned that um, a couple of times really helped me thinking about, okay, that he's right. If I need to tell them, okay, you have to do, for example, three times 50 meter and we are friends, they would say, yeah, yeah, but okay, come on, come on, we are friends. So why do I need to do it? Whereas if we really have like the the player and the staff side it's easier for me to do certain things so or to tell players okay you have to do this or you have to do this um that's the first thing that really helped me because of course he's um, older the head coach and he's way more experienced than i have um but what also helped me i think as i said before is communicating with them so when for example i have a, a plan for a certain player then I'm discussing that plan with that player and then they can give their input. So we create like um, um, buy-in from both of us. So on my side, there's a buy-in, but also on his side, there's a buy-in. And if we, for example, would go another direction with that schedule, then we both have to admit that that's the right direction. Whereas if I'm telling him, okay, we don't go that direction, then there's, um, I think it's, easier for him then to follow me than when I were his friend or I were his um, yeah same age or his pal so to say and in terms of any coaches out there of your age or even a little bit younger what would you say in terms of some top advice just to finish off like things that you've learned so far really to get that buying with players yeah I I've written down a couple couple of points beforehand but I think the main thing is just show capability just show that um, you know what we are talking about so when we're talking about for example periodization or doing runs or conditioning um, just make, make sure that what you tell to the players is right or at least is um, showing capability so you know what we're talking about and for example if a player comes in to your office and ask about um, for example I can say um, recovery and then taking ice bath. So know what you're talking about before you answer him. And you, of course, you don't always know everything, 
but as I said, at this club, you're more generalist. So I, I think I know enough of every topic to give um, a first advice. And sometimes I say, okay, I will look this up because sometimes yeah. we come something and I don't know it um, directly. And I, I would tell him, okay, I will look this up. I will come back to you. And then he's like, okay, okay. And then he knows, okay, I'm thinking about it. And I think that really shows capability. And that's one thing that's I that I think is really helping me. So um, yeah, if they know that I'm knowing what I talk about, then they would follow, they will follow me, I think. And that's Absolutely. yeah, that's the the main thing, I think. Just um, as they say at Ajax, old enough is uh, good enough is old enough. So I think that's not only with the players, but also with the coaches. Yeah. If you are good enough, you're old enough. And yeah, you, how how do you become good? Yeah, by learning things and also, of course, by doing things and then failing and then um, do it again the next time and do it right. So yeah, that's, I think, the main thing. And as I said, at this club, um, with lots of responsibility, by doing things, you will learn things. So I think that's, that's the main thing. And what may be underestimated is also presence. So if you show good presence in terms of your hair, which was hard for me in the beginning of the season when I was bald. <laughs> but for example, having everything. Um, so you shave when you have normally you don't have a beard. I don't have a beard. So I need to be shaved because otherwise there are all, all hairs off my face and they would think, okay, what's this? Uh, what's this guy doing he just came out of his bed and he's just not um awake now um so good presence i think is also important and not only in terms of how you look but maybe also in terms of how you um yeah how your lifestyle is so for example when i did uh pre-season runs with the under 23s i was joining them and they were like oh how do you become so fit for example so i think that that's also helping you in creating player buy-in because when they have to think, uh, do things which even I'm capable of, whereas I'm not a professional football player, I'm uh, I'm just <laughs> a football player at the lowest division in the Netherlands, then they must think, okay, then we should do that as well or we are even capable of doing that. So I think that's also important. And the same holds for the gym work. If you are uh, not... If you have never been in the gym and then you need players to, uh, and then you are going to tell players, okay, you need to do this, they would look at you and they, I think they would think, yeah, what's this idiot doing here and what's he telling me? So I, I think it helps um, to be at least a bit fit. And um, yeah, so the presence needs to be good, I think. Yeah, I think a lot of that just comes from leading by example, doesn't it, as well? Yeah. I think there's yeah. some really important points there. Lucas, that was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you for coming on the podcast. And I know you've got, I know you're going into a training session shortly. Yeah. So I will save you some time so you can have a little bit of a chill out before you go into the session. But just before you do, firstly, thank you for coming on. Yeah, and also, you. will you just leave us with, if people have got questions or if they want to reach out to you, where would you direct them? Yeah, to my LinkedIn page, I think. Or just uh, search for my name, Lucas Postma. And then uh, you will find me and we can uh, connect. Brilliant. Lucas, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to episode 267. And a big thank you to Lucas for coming on. 
I know he, he said before we started recording it was the first podcast that he'd done and I thought he did great so I encouraged him to get onto more podcasts um, in the future as well so I really enjoyed our conversation and I hope you did too I think takeaways on this one I was really intrigued to get his experiences from Ajax and some of the things he spoke about was how the younger age groups the 23s were training harder than the first team so that it wasn't going to be for physical reasons that they weren't ready for first team football so I thought that was a really key takeaway um, in terms of his experiences he spoke about being forced to learn quickly being in roles and positions that it's forced to make him learn quickly and he's had to prioritise filling gaps um, where he's had to, where he's felt a need to develop himself as a practitioner because he was essentially put in a role um, or landed a role where he was more of a generalist and he had to cover all bases so that was a key lesson from him I think the importance of a mentor, obviously Lucas is mentored by James Malone, who's been on the podcast before, and he spoke about the importance of that mentor, and especially someone neutral that isn't at the club. Um, obviously someone like James has got vast experience in football as well, so he's probably seen a lot of the issues that Lucas might face or the challenges it might face, but he isn't involved in the emotion, the day-to-day at that specific club at that time. So I think that's a really key thing. Um, he also spoke about, obviously, his experiences with players um, getting external practitioners, whether that was physio or I think he, he said over there it's a little bit more on the tactical side. But I imagine it will progress onto the physical side as well. And then he, he spoke about the Ajax phrase, being good enough, it means that you're old enough. And I think that's shown with obviously Lucas's age, 24, but being in the first team uh, role like he is, I think that's a good lesson for a lot of practitioners out there. But I think the focus that doesn't have to be on how old you are, it has to be on how good you are, how effective you are as a, as a coach and a practitioner as well. So they were my takeaways. As always, I would love to hear yours. So please give this episode a share, tag in anyone that you think will benefit from the episode and let us know what you thought. And also, just on just to wrap us up, make sure you go and check out our sponsors doing some brilliant work. That is Rezzle, Hytro, and also The Good Prep. Go and give them a follow over on socials and show them some love. Thank you again for listening to the podcast, and I'll speak to you again next week in episode 268.